Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hey, everyone. It's Gabriella, host of District of Conservation. Today marks our entry into episode 96. Wow. I can't believe in the two years I've been hosting this, we are finally hitting that benchmark very soon. And I'm so grateful to each of you for coming and listening and to you new listeners for checking us out and giving us your consideration. Today's guest is my friend, Nick Hoffman, who is the star of the outdoor channel show, Nick's Wild Ride. And as you may know, a previous touring musician, a fiddler to be exact, with Kenny Chesney. If you're a Kenny Chesney fan, an Outdoor Channel fan, this episode is for you. And I want to read Nick's biography for you guys if you are just learning about him or want to learn more about him. So Nick Hoffman is an award-winning country music artist whose passion for travel and the outdoors takes him to the world's most interesting places. After 12 years as the fiddle player in country music star Kenny Chesney's band, he struck out on his own and scored two hit songs with the country trio The Farm. Now Nick's Wild Ride shows people a side of Nick Hoffman they've never seen. Part traveler, part hunter, part historian, with some party guy sprinkled in. You never know what he'll do next. And I read that from his Outdoor Channel biography. But here's a little more in-depth look into his show. And it has actually won critical acclaim for its distinctive entertainment style and dynamic pace. The first season of his show was nominated for three coveted Outdoor Sportsman Golden Moose Awards in 2016, and it won three Telly Awards in the categories of Travel, Tourism, Culture, and Style, and Activism for short form for Nick Hoffman's work to spread the message on African conservation. In 2017, the success of season two of Nick's Wild Ride positioned the show as one of the best-rated programs on the Outdoor Channel and produced another four nominations for excellence at the 18th Annual Outdoor Sportsman Channel Awards and his first win after taking the Golden Moose home for, quote, best conservation, end quote, for his work in Africa. And it won an amazing seven tele awards, including taking home awards in the categories of travel, tourism, culture, and lifestyle, and religious spiritual for the award, specifically on the episode on the culture of the Blackfeet Nation in Montana. And in 2019, he won four other tele awards, and like me, last year, he won a Poma Pinnacle Award, but for excellence in broadcasting, I won it in conservation. And were added to his impressive list of accolades that Nick Wild Ride has accumulated in its four seasons. So Nick and I are not related by any means. Uh, he is of Scandinavian origin. I am of Lithuanian and Jewish stock. So slightly different world, uh, realms, not too dissimilar. But a lot of people will probably be asking, is he related to Gabriella? Is he like a relative or something? No, we're just friends who just happen to have the same name. And we're both professional outdoor media association members. And I really do love Nick's show. I am quite picky when it comes to outdoor programming, just because not that the shows that they have currently are just so numerous, but it's so hard to find a show that really does perfect the art of storytelling, really brings people, viewers into unique destinations and has a greater conservation message. So 
I really like Nick's work. Um, I think you guys are going to like it too, what he has to offer. And I hope you give this episode your consideration. Check it out. Nick, thank you so much for hopping on this podcast and I guess simulcast YouTube uh, broadcast with me. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Yeah, anytime. And for people listening and or watching, we are not related, although we have the same last name. It's kind of a funny way that we bonded first time uh, when I met you at Poma last year. But yeah. you know, we're more Scandinavian. I'm more Eastern European. <laughs> yeah, we figured we we somehow deduced that over a beer, I think, at Poma. And uh, but you know what? Uh, we Hoffmans need to stick together, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Nick, why don't you explain your backstory and how you got wrapped into the outdoor industry? Because you have done a lot. You're a very talented musician. You're a TV host, avid outdoorsman. Why don't you talk about the genesis of your journey? <laughs> it's a it's a convoluted, complicated thing. Like uh, it literally, the the metaphor of this all looks like a nice quilt until you or a nice cross stitch until you see all the knots and strings behind on the other side. That's kind of kind of the story of my career I um like you said I'm a musician I'm a fiddle player I'm a singer a country music artist and that's been my my life since I was a little kid I started playing fiddle when I was four or five years old I grew up in a musical family I can tell you more about that later if you want but um I um but I always was was enamored with the outdoors and I didn't grow up in a hunting family ironically uh but I, I was one of those kids that was always called to the outdoors. I, I, I wanted to hunt. I didn't know why. I just always wanted to. I was the kid that was walking around the woods, in, you know, around our farm, looking at tracks and finding rubs and looking for trying to sneak up on deer. And that was just always something I wanted to do. So um, music and hunting and the outdoors in general, fishing as well, um, was always the, were always the two things that kind of were at my core. So I was always that kid that was, that was looking for, you know, the, the deer in the woods and the tracks and the rubs and, and all that stuff. So, you know, hunting and fishing were always at my core as well as music. So, um, fast forward now, and I'm making very long story short, I, um, I end up running away from home when I was 16, 17 years old. And I went to Branson, Missouri to play music. That was the only thing I wanted to do. And I wanted to, be on the radio and be famous. That was, that was my, my goal, you know? So I thought Branson was where I was going to make that happen. And, and, and I kind of scared the crap out of my parents and, and (laughs) hopped on a Greyhound bus and went to Branson. And, uh, and so fast forward to several years from that people I met in Branson ended up recommending me for um, a, a gig in, in Nashville after I moved to Nashville. And, um, I was really lucky to get on with a couple of big country music artists that um, launched my music career. And through that, I started meeting all these different, obviously I'm hunting and and stuff through all this. And I met um, some hunting celebrities, if you will, (laughs) that had TV shows and I started being a guest on their TV shows. So the music led me into the hunting industry kind of by meeting people backstage and stuff like that. And, um, that led to having an idea for my own TV show. Um, and this is, of course, a 15-year period here. You know what I mean? It's over a long time. And and I had this idea for this Anthony Bourdain-style hunting show. And and five seasons in now, I'm about to start f- filming the sixth season. We've got this hit TV show. And, and i got a brand-new album coming out. And I'm just still running both tracks. They're just 
you know, I'm running full steam on two tracks at the same time, which sounds really, really uh, exhausting now that I say it. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't you talk about some of the musicians you've worked with? Because you have an impressive list of people you've worked with before we segue into your show. Yeah, well, I, I've been really lucky to, you know, live some of my wildest dreams um, through my music career. I, I started um, playing with a guy named Kenny Chesney in, <laughs> in 2000. And uh, right not too long after I moved to town, I was lucky enough to get a gig with him. And, and I, I was able to kind of jump onto that rocket ship right before it took off. And, and Kenny had had hits before I joined, obviously, but I was there when that whole thing blew up into from, from theaters to stadiums. And, and it's every musician's dream. You know, I said one day I wanted to play in front of 10,000 people once that was kind of my dream when I was a kid. And here we are playing for 10,000 to 60,000 people every night. And so that was incredible. And and then through that, I, I, I ended up, um, I played with, I played with people like Trace Atkins and Keith Urban and Brooks and Dunn. And I've been on stage with some of, you know, people like Steve Miller and, and John Mellencamp, all this stuff that, you know, through Kenny, all these different things that we've gotten to do. So, um, I've been really lucky. And that's the list goes this longer than that too. I mean, like I said, just dream come true. And then of course I got my own record deal, um, with my band, the farm on Warner brothers. And we had two top 40 singles with that. So then I, I transitioned from being a side guy to being the front guy. And, um, that was the other dream come true. So, um, now I finally got my first solo album coming out here really soon. So, um, everything's just kind of continuing to roll, you know? And then you also play with, I think I saw that you played with a, either a winner or runner up from America's, not America's Got Talent. I'm sorry. The, the voice. What am I? The voice. Yeah. So I'm a, I, I'm, I also do, I do a lot of producing, um, as well. And I produce for this guy, Chris Cruzy, who was a runner up in the voice, uh, last year. And he's an incredible talent and you're about to start seeing him. We got a brand new album that we just worked on on him. So, so that's me behind the scenes, uh, producing music as well. And, and I've been really, really proud of, of the work we've done with, with Chris. He's, he's incredible. And like I said, you're going to be seeing a lot uh, to come from him in the, in the coming months. And how did your outdoor channel show come to be? You said, obviously, uh, because of the connections you made through the music yep. and that was able to transition to that. And watching your show, I really do like it. I love the storytelling element. And it's, it's hard for me to incline myself to different outdoor programming. There's so much. It's not that they're all terrible or anything of that, but it's just yours captivates and like really puts viewers in. And even those who may not be plugged into our lifestyle, I think would really like it too, because you have the storytelling element to it. You do your outdoor adventure, and then you also kind of check out what the locals are doing with each place that you go to. But talk about how your show came to be at the Outdoor Channel. Well, first off, I mean, the, the, everything you just said is like, the, those are the ultimate compliments because that's the goal uh, with the show. You know, there, like you said, there was a, it still is a lot of outdoor programming out there. And, and um, we kind of, Mark Baird, my producer and I, we set out to do something a little different. Um, and really all it is, is it's just, it's Nick's Wild Ride is following me going along on these adventures and doing the stuff that I'm going to do anyway with or without a camera. I, when I go on somewhere to hunt, which especially when I'm out touring, that's my, my vacation, right? So I go out and I explore 
the local food and history and culture of the place I go to. That's what, what, what kind of the guy I am anyway. So you're kind of just following along on the adventure I'd be doing anyway. Uh, the difference is that maybe I'm going to some places I might not normally be going, you know? Um, but yeah, it's a, it's an Anthony Bourdain style kind of hunting show. I go somewhere to hunt and like I said, explore local food and culture and music and history. And that was the idea. The idea was to do something a little different. And I feel like we've done that. And I've, I've been really, really proud of it. And it's, you said something that really hits home for me, which is the, I always, whenever I'm putting together an episode, I'm thinking about what if somebody's flipping through the channels and they're one of those people that sit on the fence, like the majority of Americans about hunting, they don't have a, a direct opinion. They're not necessarily for it or against it, but they sit squarely on the fence. All it takes is one bad image or one bad thing for them to, to, to fall off the fence into the anti-hunting uh, kind of, kind of um, category. And my, my goal with this is not only to obviously appeal to the, the general outdoor demographic that is already in our corner, but, but appeal to people that maybe they don't hunt, but still like to watch the show. And I get messages like that every week when the show airs. And that's the biggest compliment you can give us. Cause in the end, if we're not recruiting people um, to hunting or at least to be on our side, then I, I don't feel like we're, we're, we're actualizing ourselves as sportsmen, you know, and women, of course. Yeah. Yeah. It's very important. Yeah. You're right. Because I think, what is it like five are very diehard in support of hunting. 5% are very diehard in support of hunting and 5% are against uh, hunting as well. So there's that big 90% or I think they say 80% too, or maybe it's yep. 10, I forget, but, but the five to 10% that are adamantly for hunting and adamantly against hunting. And yeah, just the persuadables in the middle is always a challenge, but I think we are making strides. I, I, I want to be optimistic about that. I think yeah. I'm somewhat optimistic about that. Um, you do see pushback to some of the lies now and, and people like even unlikely sources now are saying like without hunters, like certain species will go extinct. I think that was a Washington post headline sure. I read earlier this year. And I was like, this source is talking about this. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, welcome to the club. <laughs> I think that, I think that it's, it's about, Look, there are people that are going to get out there and do um, the the extreme advocacy, the people that are going to be like, you know, hunt or die. You know, that that's not that's not my approach to to conversion. My my approach is to try and and show hunting in a positive light that we're not all bloodthirsty killers, that 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 we a lot of us go out there and we we love and respect and and try to preserve the very animals that we hunt, which is a strange, um, it's a strange dichotomy, you know what I mean? And it's ironic in a lot of ways, especially to people that don't understand it. So, um, I, I, I try to appeal to those people by, by showing it in a positive light. I don't really, I do things a little differently the way I film it, the way I show it. And that, and that is in a direct attempt to try and, like I said, strat myself straddle the fence. I try to make sure that I appeal to, to hunters and, and, and yet maybe appeal to the people that don't. And I get these messages that say, Hey, you know, your show is the only show that my wife will watch with me. My wife who doesn't hunt, you know, and that's, that's the compliment right there. It's the best thing you could tell me. I love it. That's cool. Where have been some of your favorite places to go to? I really loved uh, in the in the brief time that I had the preview for Outdoor Channel, because they took it away after 
<laughs> so, and I don't really have time to watch TV. So, but when I did catch your show, I loved uh, your trip to Elk Country in Kentucky, where you yeah. uh, kind of dis- uh, talked about and discussed at length about the confluence of the reclaimed coal mines and the still active coal mines in this healthy yeah. elk habitat. And then I love the episode where you and your wife went to Italy and uh, kind of explored there. But where have been some places? Uh, that you've enjoyed visiting? And do you have any interesting exotic places you're going to be visiting without giving any way, any secrets uh, sure. away? Yeah, I, that's such a, it's such a tough question for me. I get asked it a lot because, you know, over the course of, so the fifth season of Next Wild Ride starts airing on September 7th. So it's coming up here really fast in about a month. And, and I, and that's, that's crazy to me that we've done five years of this and a year of production before that. So that's, you know, pushing 60 some episodes that we've filmed. So that's 60 trips all around the world. So it's hard to pick one particular spot, you know? Um, But there are definitely some that stick out. I mean, my, the first one that comes to mind is my first time in Africa. Mm -hmm. Um, I was always one of those people. I grew up in the Midwest, white tailed deer and fishing and, and grouse and ducks and pheasants. Like I had, I was one of those people who said, I don't have any interest in going to Africa to hunt. Doesn't, doesn't really appeal to me. I would see it in magazines. I, I get it. They're beautiful animals. Didn't really seem. And then people, my friends would say, yeah, but when you go and do it, you'll be planning your trip back before you leave. And, and it'll be a life-changing thing for you. I was like, ah, yeah, I get it. Ha 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 three days into my trip, I'm going, so when can I come back? Yeah, this is, and it really is, it was, it's a magical thing on so many levels. Um, the first is that the people there are incredible. Um, you know, they, 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 they have nothing by our standards yet. They, they're the happiest people uh, I've ever met. And that shows that maybe we're, we're living wrong in certain ways, you know, that, that maybe we don't need all the, the crap that we consume ourselves with. Maybe, uh, if we simplify life a little bit and maybe this coronavirus thing has taught us some of that too, you know, that we don't need all the things that we thought we did to be happy. You know, um, that, that was interesting also to see conservation at work on a daily basis in a country like Namibia, where I was, you know, that the good conservation practice, science-based, uh, man, game management that, in, that involves hunters, is is a proven successful way to to manage uh game and to make their populations not only you know thrive but increase i mean what namibia has done for example with their their elephant population is absolutely incredible and uh, without going into big details africa um to answer your question was 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 a life-changing thing for me on a lot of levels um my first time in alaska was just life-changing too that's what that's what gave me my first taste of mountain mountain hunting and and climbing a mountain and you know losing 10 pounds on a hunt kind of thing and i i'm addicted to it now absolutely addicted to it and also another very inspirational conservation side of things you know there's uh you know in a lot of ways there's parts of alaska that, that are a uh you know conservation um battleground right now you know so that trips like that that kind of not only give you a great thrill on the hunting side, but also teach you something. Those are things that I really love. And do you have any places kind of in your sites that you would like to visit that you've never gone to? Yeah, actually I'm supposed to see, I, I, I think what is today, like the third of August or something like that. Right. Fourth, so yeah. it's the fourth <laughs> of August. 
And I'm supposed to be leaving on the 11th of August to go to Kyrgyzstan to hunt Marco Polo sheep. And we're talking about, you know, 15,000 feet up and, 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 you know, in the middle of nowhere, drinking fermented yak milk and riding horses up the mountain kind of thing, just exotic as can be one of my dream hunts and coronavirus has, has thwarted that for me. So I'm not sure if I'm even going to be able to get there this year at all. Um, so that was a pretty big letdown. So that one's on my, definitely been on my bucket list and, and I'm really excited about that. I really want to go to, um, I'd like to go to like Greenland mm-hmm. and, and do maybe like muskox or something like that has always been, um, on my, on my bucket list. Another one is, uh, you know, all the California to do blacktail sheep. Like I haven't hunted in California. Uh, I want to go there and duck hunt. Um, and of course I'd love to do some sheep hunting there too. So there's some interesting places that I haven't been, you know, and I, the list could go on and on, trust me, <laughs> but right. I, no. those, those are the first ones that come to mind. Yeah. I mean, since I'm fairly new to my hunting journey, like I can't even fathom doing that. Like I want to go one step at a time and people are like, you have to try this species that, and I'm like, it costs a lot of money. I don't want to bid for an elk before I haven't even gotten a white tailed deer. I've been very right. getting a white tailed deer, but it's like, <laughs> I, I want to first start slow, but no, those are good. Like for me, like, I feel like those are good aspirational things to have. Like, and those trips are so beautiful and meaningful. And, you know, just being a, a journalist in this sector, like I see that conservation model in place and I'm not necessarily a defender, but I like to showcase that perspective when it comes to the African conservation model, because it really is something extraordinary and people just really give it flack without uh, attention to detail. They don't understand what they're talking about. And they're kind of imposing this neo-colonialist view on African nations, telling them, you know what's better for you. Let us come in and intervene. And they're like, no, we actually know what's working and we'll work with organizations like Safari Club or the Property Mm -hmm. Environmental Research Center and all that. So like they're working with good groups and hopefully the governments are not as corrupt and and they're cooperative and and they're also chipping. And it seems like in Namibia and other countries they are. Yeah. with conservation, it's so important. And I think this can segue into uh, another topic that we can discuss, but there are so many groups out there that do talk about and do advocate for conservation here domestically and also abroad. And one is Safari Club International where you are involved and I do have membership as well. Why don't you talk about your affiliation with them and what the group does and and meaningful work that they do? I've I've interviewed them before and I think it'd be good to reiterate uh, kind of their mission statement here. Sure. So I've always been fascinated by American conservation models, um, you know, uh, because that's what I knew. Right. So uh, I've always been a, you know, a passive. I've never been a, 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 you know, a thumper. I've never been out there, you know, picketing. I've never been that kind of guy. Not that I wouldn't necessarily. It's just it's never um, really been my style so much. But I do. I've always liked educating and advocating for it um a little more subtly by telling people that want to listen about things and you know i've been fascinated by teddy roosevelt and all these people my whole life you know just bit by bit learning i mean when i read um san county almanac you know the the all the leopold book that it was a life-changing thing for me you know so uh, american side of things has always been really interesting so when i actually went to africa I, I was just so inspired by what Namibia was doing. And my whole time there, we did, we did a short film and we did, we did some 
some uh, two episodes of Mixed Wild Ride, and I got to dig pretty deep. And I wasn't there for trophy hunting in there. I all own use hunt, so everything I hunted, I we gave back to the villages. It was really a cool, cool thing, and I saw it firsthand how it works. I was so inspired that when I got back, I I, I wanted to get involved somehow. So I I joined Safari Club International. And I bought a life membership, and what I didn't realize was what Safari Club does domestically. So the word safari is, is implies Africa to most people. Right. But, but what, what we don't, what a lot of people don't realize is that they do so much domestically, both on, you know, the, the great American outdoors act that just passed today, yeah. you know, SCI uh, had their hand on behind the scenes and, and doing the best they can to lobby for that. And, and they're taking our dollars and they're putting them where they matter domestically. And they spend millions and millions of dollars that a lot of people don't realize domestically. If I had my way, I'd change Safari Club International to Hunters Club International. You know uh-huh. what I mean? Because it's a bit of a misnomer for what they really do. And so when I found that out, I started just getting more and more involved. I got involved on the local club level. And, and then I started getting more involved in the national level. And now I'm proud that they're, you know, they advertise with my show and, and I, I just, I try, um, to do whatever I can. And that's the, I have this platform, so I might as well use it. And I support Safari Club proudly. And, uh, um, I'm glad, just glad to be affiliated with them. I really am. They have really upped the ante with their influencer program, I guess. Big time. Call it. They brought on Christy Titus and a few mm-hmm. other really standout people like yourself. So I really love seeing that they're involving like true blue, trailblazers like good communicators like you and Christy and plenty others to kind of sp- uh, expand the message and to kind of lure in new members that way and I think that's it's smart on their part because again that's starting to showcase what their investment in domestic initiatives you mm-hmm. know um that the safari club obviously still very involved in in international hunting policy and and conservation and everything but i think they're doubling down on the domestic crowd and they're they're letting people know more about what they do here domestically and if you don't know more um you're going to find out more soon because i think they're doing it like you said a good job in communicating that and some of that is you know by engaging um influencers and those kinds of things and people that um but also it's a matter of and, and doing what they're doing, like getting involved with the Great American Outdoors Act and, and, and publicizing it, talking about it. You know, I'm proud of it. How about what a great day today? Yeah. You know what I mean, what I, a special I was, thing. Yeah. Before we hopped on to do this interview, I was watching the signing because I was supposed to be alerted of some announcement from within. And I haven't received that announcement yet, but I still watch it. It was really cool just to see the key sponsors. Uh, the different administration officials just kind of champion that and how they were able to bring it across the finish line, especially in these really divided times. And everyone knows the outdoors does bring people together across political lines. And that was really nice to see that. And I think it's really good for this administration to have that achievement under their belt. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, people like you talking about it is what matters too. You know, it's, that's the whole thing. If we're not letting people know about this stuff, then, then nobody's going to know, right? That sounds so simple, but it's, it's true. If we're not talking about it, then we're not doing our jobs. You know, that's where communications organizations like our favorite group, professional outdoor media association comes in. And you probably have seen this too. I don't know if you have seen it like me. Um, There are not really too many obstacles to breaking out in the outdoor industry from the media side, 
But it is kind of hard for younger people if they don't already have an existing paper trail uh, or a media trail. It is kind of hard for them to break out. I've had many people ask me, how did you do it? Like, what's the secret to to breaking out? And I tell them, well, you could join organizations like POMA and we can talk about this next. Obviously, I want to hear your thoughts on what the organization does and, and kind of echo the importance of groups like that to kind of cultivate, find or refine uh, emerging media personalities across sure. journalism, uh, TV, things of that sort. But I think that's where POMA can come into play with kind of bringing in these uh, emerging people into the fold, uh, mentoring them, giving them opportunities. And we had obviously our <laughs> conference derailed due to COVID. I was looking forward yeah. to that so much to go to Nashville, which is your backyard in Franklin area and do that. But uh, talk about the importance of POMA and how our organization can really kind of speak to and, and get more young communicators out there to talk about these issues. Yeah, I mean, that's the other that like I talked about, if we're not talking about it, if we're not getting the message out there, then especially with younger people, um, it's then then we're not we're not doing everything we can do. And that's why I joined POMA, because I wanted to I felt like I was starting to hit a plateau of the network I had and of, of people that I was able to engage with to figure out how to get the messaging out there that I wanted to do is because, you know, Nick's wild ride has a, has a formula, if you will, we, we do a certain kind of thing. So we're in a, in a box, but I still like to write and I still like to get involved with policy and I still like to advocate however I can. And I like to do public speaking and things like that. And I, I needed a way to figure out how I could engage more and more effectively. And so Poma offered that for me because, uh, you know, the professional outdoor media association, even in itself is, well, you have to be a professional, right? Like you have to have a, have a, uh, like you said, a resume or something. No, no. What it is, is it's an organization that is for everyone. It's for beginners and, and the experienced and they bring, they come together and they, you can use each other's contacts and use each other's network and, learn from these experienced people. And that's, that's been just this, this really, really wonderful thing that I've enjoyed, not only on a professional level, but on a personal level, I've made some of my best friends, yourself included, you know, yeah. through POMA. So um, if, you know, if you're out there and you're, and you're thinking about, you know, even if you want, if you're a blogger or a social media influencer, if you will, if you've got a message that you're trying to spread and you're trying to figure out how to take your career to the next level, Poma is a great way to do that. Yeah, there is that category. They did add the social media influencer category, which is good. And mm-hmm. we have brought on like Nikki Boxler, I think just joined as a influencer. She's really good with her social media and influencer yep. is kind of a uh, multi-pronged, it can be interpreted in different ways. And it Absolutely. Can be but I think our organization does a really good job of taking that term and like actually promoting the the virtues behind it. It's a, it's an evolving thing too. That like you said, the term influencer immediately brings to mind for some people, you know, uh, girls in bikinis holding up fish, you know, and, and which don't get me wrong. I've, I've been guilty of looking at a time or two in my life, but, but the, the, the thing is, is that that might not be the, the exactly what we're talking about, which is somebody that has a message represents, you know, the outdoors in, in, in the way that, that, you know, we feel is furthering the cause. Um, there's a place for everybody there and everybody, you know, and honestly, I'm for it all. If a, if, if a girl in a bikini holding up a fish is going to maybe get a, a young girl out there fishing, 
I'm in, you know what I mean? There, there's a place for, there's a place for all of it. Um, and I think that Poma is, has been really smart in including those people. I do, you know? Yeah. I think, and then of course, like you said, there's people like Nikki who just fly the flag in the most graceful and, and well-spoken way, uh, you know, of just the outdoor lifestyle in general, not just hunting, but just living the life. And, yeah. and, uh, you know, Maddie Brenneman is another one that I really like a lot that she's a fly fishing woman that is just incredible and, and, you know, well-spoken and does a great job. And there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of really cool people out there that represent us really well. It's true. Yeah. And, uh, they, they are, uh, influencing people. They have a lot of followers, companies mm-hmm. work with them. Uh, they're hopefully inspiring people to get involved and, uh, to kind of share the message too. I, I, there, there's many ways to do it positively. And I think it's more positive than negative. And I think companies have learned how to fine tune their approaches. They're not just like dispensing money to these different influencers and then not getting a return on investment. It's a mutually beneficial relationship sure. where the companies are investing resources in these influencers. And in turn, these influencers are giving these companies what they're looking for, uh, click through rates, uh, products that yeah. are successfully purchased. Um, maybe more exposure for the company, things of that sort. So I think, or the industry is learning how to do it in their fine tuning and it's starting to become a little more uh, adept I, or uh, it's starting to become more uh, uh, effective as a marketing tool. I should Absolutely. Say. It's, it's, it's evolving. And, you know, we, they've, we, the industry has learned how to embrace these people and the people that have integrity and are actually doing it for a business, mm-hmm. you know, and not just for attention. Right. Um, and when you find those people, again, I bring up Nikki Boxer as a great example. It's somebody that this, she's making, you know, um, her, her living kind of putting her life out there. Um, but she's, she's doing it in a professional way that truly builds fans. And Eva Shockey's another one, you know, that, that represent, that represent women in, in a, in, in the hunting space that also you don't have to always be wearing camo, you know, that you can be out there raising your babies and, and having a family and building a house and all the other things that Eva shows on a daily basis, that's real. That's who we are. And, and to, to paint hunters and fishermen as, as anything other than just regular people who enjoy the outdoors is, is not accurate. You know what I mean? Most people don't, I mean, look at me with the spiky hair, you know what I mean? I, and I don't have a giant beard and look like I just changed my oil and I'm still an average and, you know, I consider myself an average outdoorsman, you know? Right. Do you have any uh, other things you want to discuss? Cause I hope this doesn't kick us out after 40 minutes. Cause I only have the free plan, but any, any, <laughs> any final thoughts you want to add? You know, I don't know. We've covered a lot of ground here. You know, it's, yeah. it's fun. It's fun to be, to, to be having this conversation that, that I feel like the outdoor industry and the, just the, the outdoor um, world of conservation as a whole are headed in such a, a really exciting direction. Um, there's a lot of work to do, you know what I mean? And there's a lot of stuff that's under attack. I'm proud to be a part of it. I know you're proud to be a part of it. And the one thing I'd say is this is so fulfilling to get involved. Like it's one thing to sit back and say, man, I wish that I had more public ground or I wish that I could do this or I wish I could do that. But it's a whole nother thing to get involved. And the best way you can start to get involved is to join one of these clubs, mm-hmm. join an organization. If it's SCI, if it's backcountry hunters and anglers, if it's if it's uh, 
um, unlimited you know, or- the, it, well, yeah, to, uh, ducks unlimited or Delta waterfowl yeah. or just somewhere where you can connect with other people that are like-minded. You, it'll be, you'll be amazed at how much fulfillment you'll get from that and how much activation you'll get from it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So that'd be, that's my parting words. It's like, get out there and do something because otherwise we're going to lose it. You know, wise words, where can people connect with you, Nick? Um, uh, Instagram is, uh, and Facebook and, uh, are all Nick's wild ride one word and, um, Nick's wild ride.net's my website. Uh, and you can go on there and see some stuff about the show. And, um, obviously you're going to be also seeing some brand new music coming to soon. So it's, uh, going to be good. That is awesome. Thank you for joining uh, me here at the podcast. And also we're going to post this on YouTube for those of you uh, listening and want to see this visually. We're also going to have this also on YouTube, but Nick, I appreciate you coming on to share your story, your fantastic story. Like it's so cool that the industry is not just like stuffy policy people or writers, it's TV personalities, people from all across the country, people who work in music, who work in just different industries And uh, your story is so important. Your advocacy is so important. So I appreciate you coming on to share uh, your thoughts with me. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you for what you're doing. You know, uh, you don't toot your own horn nearly enough. You're a, you're a badass and, uh, and flying the flag in a great way and in a great way for us. So I'm very, very grateful. I hope you enjoyed my chat with my friend, Nick Hoffman. Go check out his music. He has some cool stuff coming out. Follow him on social media. If you don't already Go watch some past episodes of Nick's Wild Ride. I believe a fifth season is coming out this fall on the Outdoor Channel. So go follow and support his show. You're going to really like it if you've never seen it. It really does stand out from all the different outdoor content there. And he's a really nice stand-up. If you enjoyed this episode, you're new here, you really want to help support us, the best way to do that to really help spread my podcast out there is just to share it with your friends, to download past episodes, to subscribe, leave us a review, especially on Apple Podcasts, and find us on your preferred platform. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, so you'll never be able to miss a beat or a guest announcement or description. You can also find and scroll back to past episodes if you want to catch up and learn more about what I do, what I primarily focus this podcast on, who some past guests have been. We've had a lot of outstanding guests. And as we enter season three of the podcast, and I'm going to be debuting that sometime in early September, I will likely take a week off later this month as I enjoy some vacation down at the beach here in Virginia. But we're going to have a lot of awesome guests between now and late August in between a little break. Uh, But Wednesday, we're going to have another episode. These last two weeks, I've been doing double episodes, but we're going to have Henry and Lakeisha Woodard of Halo Chronicles. They are an awesome married couple bringing the outdoors to new audiences with their Southern flair and also involving their four kids in the great outdoors, too. You're going to really love their story as much as I have since getting to know them in the last few years. So thank you for listening to District of Conservation. I hope you guys are planning your hunting and fishing trips accordingly. You can do both activities because they are falling on the con- in the confines of social distancing and they're safe to do in this interesting yet crazy upheaval, crazy period uh, that we have with the coronavirus. So thank you for listening.
I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Find us, check us out, leave us your feedback and find me on social media too. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I would love to hear your thoughts on who you'd like to see next. Any guest suggestions, any topic suggestions. I'm all ears. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for my episode with Henry and Lakeisha Woodard on Wednesday at midnight.